Now in the second chapter of 2 Timothy, Paul is going to hit full stride in his final instructions towards his spiritual son in the faith. In chapter 2, you're going to see, you're going to find that Paul uses seven different styles or types of people that illustrate different areas of our faith. He's going to walk through seven different types of people, and he's going to use them. Today, we're just going to be covering the first four. We're going to be covering the son, the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer, and we'll get to them if you don't remember them right now. That's okay. Before we get there, though, to today's topic and message, I always like to recap where we have come from. So we're all on the same page, especially it helps as we're moving through a full letter. So we're all on the same page. Last week when we got together, we discussed the second half of chapter one. and those verses, we found a strong call to each one of us, a call to salvation to all men and women. Great reminders like God chose us before the foundation of the world. He chose us before we had a chance to mess up. He chose us not because of what we could bring to the table, but because he loved us and he wanted us. He knew that one day we would love him in return. And this is great news to each and every single one of us. And it means that he chose us in spite of our shortcomings. God is omniscient. means that he knows all things. He knows that you will fail. He knows that you will forget on days your promise that you've made to him. That some days you will be attentive and growing. And other days you will be easily distracted and you will wander Yet despite all of this, he still chooses you. And I recently was listening to a Christian band, and in one of their songs, it says these words. It says, nothing is greater than your grace, not even my mistakes. Nothing is greater than your grace, not even my mistakes. Such a true statement. God's grace covers everything. Even our mistakes cannot overcome his grace. Not only did we have a strong reminder that our salvation is by faith alone, but also that we were reminded that God has given us his spirit to dwell with us permanently in this body while we are here. Not only does that give us spiritual gifts in this life as we live our life by faith and serve him, but also it puts a mark on us saying that we are God's, no longer the devil's, that we are God's property. We are his called to him. No one can sever that relationship. And finally, last week, we saw a true friend through the life of one Cyprus, who went out of his way to show support to another friend who was in real need. Friendship, true friendship, takes work and effort, just like our relationship with the Lord. Paul recognized that if we wanted a healthy relationship with the Lord, that it would be work on our part, that it would take diligence in our lives. So we pen the words that have become our memory verse. I'll put them on the screen and we can say them together. It says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's 2 Timothy 2.15. Now last week we covered what Paul meant by the word ashamed. The word shows up four times in just the first two chapters of this book. Clearly, this word is on his mind, since it's not a word that we see too often in Scripture. The idea of being ashamed comes with the idea of being afraid, of being afraid of the consequences of telling the gospel to other people. 
And this is what Paul is trying to tell Timothy, to be strong and to be courageous in his pursuit of the Lord, not letting fear of what may or may not happen to him hinder his pursuit. Today we're going to be moving into chapter 2, and as I said at the beginning, we're going to be covering Paul's first four analogies and the different types of people and what this means to Timothy and in all reality what it means to us today so we can grow a little bit as well. Sermon title is The Many Hats of the Healthy Christian. Many Hats of a Healthy Christian. Today is going to be a little bit different in the way that we do this, uh, and we're going to work through his analogy. So first up is, you'll see on the left of the screen, the strong son, the strong son. Let's begin by reading the word together. We're going to be reading verses 1 and 2. Okay, reading verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Timothy was not Paul's physical son, which we've covered this in some length. He was, however, a spiritual son in the sense that under Paul's guidance, he, he came to the knowledge of the Lord and Paul kind of ministered. He kind of was under his wing. And now, after many years of service and ministry together, Timothy has left the nest and he is now in charge of his own ministry. And he's matured to the point as his own ministry and he's got the baton of leadership has been passed on to him. Like Timothy, we are each spiritual sons and daughters. Some of us have come from a long line spiritual heritage. Some of you have great grandfathers and grandmothers who have slowly passed on and you got your grandmother and your mother and your family is a strong line of Christian followers and believers. Some of us are first generation. I was the first in my family line to accept Christ. No one before me knew Christ. And now I have the opportunity, and you have the opportunity if you're first generation, or whether you have a long line, to pass it on to the next generation, regardless of where you find yourself. As we're all children of God, our common faith in Jesus Christ holds us together in his family. When we are born again, we're not born of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God that has lived and abides forever. That's 1 Peter 1.23. So as a son, as a child of God, what does Paul tell Timothy? Well, the first thing he says is to be strong in grace. If you look in the verses there, he says strong in grace. Becoming strong in grace is something that often takes work. After all, we've probably met somebody who claims to be a Christ follower but hasn't quite learned how to show grace to others. You ever met somebody that says they believe in Jesus, but doesn't excel at showing grace to other people? We've, we've probably all met that person. The thing to remember is that we all make mistakes. We all fail. And God looks over our failures the same way that he looks over theirs. He shows grace equally. And I'm reminded of Jesus' words to the disciples when he says these words. I'll put them on the screen from Matthew 5, 45. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. So there's that word sons again. We're talking about true son or strong son. In context, Jesus is talking to the disciples He's telling them that they have to learn to love their enemies if they are going to become good followers of him. Now, in an effort to try to explain to the disciples what grace really looks like, how God displays grace every single day, Jesus goes to what naturally we see, we all can recognize, and he goes towards the natural events and the environment like rain. And he says that God is gracious and he treats all men equally. 
Paul is calling Timothy and us to do the same, not to be offended by one kind of sin more than the other kinds of sin, but rather to be offended by all sin equally and to treat all sinners equally, especially those who have been covered by the grace of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Paul tells Timothy, the things that you have heard from me, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So first, Paul wants Timothy to show everybody grace equally. He says, first, show everybody grace equally as my son continue to pass that on. He wants Timothy to take, secondly, what he has heard and to pass it on to somebody else, to pass that knowledge on. He wants him to commit this to people who would also pass it on. So Paul was thinking generationally. He didn't want the word to stop with him, and he didn't want it to stop with Timothy. There's a saying that I ran across a while back, maybe you've heard it, that Christianity is always one generation from becoming extinct. And the point is, don't let the good news stop with you. So Paul's next point is a good soldier. Second point is a good soldier. So let's keep reading in verse 3. Verse 3, it says these words, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. There have been many songs within the church about being in God's army, being good soldiers, onward Christian soldier, and many others that you can probably recall even better than I. And the fact is that every Christ follower is a soldier, whether they know it or not. The entire last chapter of the book of Ephesians is dedicated to spiritual warfare and the weapons of that warfare, the tools of that warfare. Problem comes when we fail to recognize this very fact that we're in a war. Could you imagine a man who was walking down the street and bombs are going off all around him, casualties are piling up all around him, and yet he continues walking as if nothing is wrong, completely oblivious to the war zone? Sadly, most who accept Christ but don't grow in him, who don't take time to read the word, to grow and to mature, to walk in life in much the same manner are oblivious to many of the bad things that are happening around them that are results of a spiritual war that's going on. And since they haven't recognized, when you haven't recognized your responsibility, tendency is to blame God for the bad things that are going on. And those people tend to walk away becoming yet another casualty. So in verse 4, Paul continues on. He says these words. He says, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. So Paul just told his son in the faith that every believer is part of the army of God, and they're a good soldier. And a good soldier recognizes their responsibility. They become willing to endure hardship that is before them. And now he tells them that soldiers who are engaged in warfare do not entangle themselves with the affairs of this life. So the question is, what do you mean, Paul? What are you talking about? Where are you getting at? So think about it. While on a battlefield, does a soldier have time to go and date his girl? So, um, Captain, um, Captain, I know we're in the middle of a war zone right now, but I've got a really hot date lined up right now uh, that I can't miss. So, I'm just going to step away from the front lines just for an hour or two. Do, do you mind? Could you imagine the reaction of the captain, the backlash, what that soldier would get trying to step away from an active war zone? Through his analogy, Paul is telling Timothy and us to be careful, to be mindful, and he's telling us that we need to keep our eye on the prize, that we are here on earth as believers to serve the Lord, 
then we need to be extremely careful and to keep this in mind. As life, as you, you guys probably know better than I do, it has a way of dividing our attention, of pulling us away, slowly shifting our focus from him towards us. And over time, if we're not careful, we'll slowly stop living for him and we'll start living for us. And it's at that moment when we take ourselves out of the battle. Effectively, we've shot ourselves in the foot when you no longer live for him, but rather live for yourself. And verse five, Paul again switches gears and he talks about the competitive athlete, the competitive athlete. Verse five, he says these words, and also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And this is Paul's third analogy. And this one short sentence, he's actually said a lot more than you might first see here. First, there's the obvious part. If we don't compete according to the rules, we don't get to keep the prize. That makes sense. Follow the rules, get the prize. We've probably all seen time and again, unfortunately, actually the guys and I were just talking over the, uh, the weekend about famous athletes in the Major League Baseball and all the guys on steroids in the 90s. Um, and we've all seen athletes who, in one way or another, um, they, they miss the idea of what's happening. And they, they set their sight on the wrong goal. And they, they cheat. And they, they might win the game, but they end up losing their career because of what's happening. Their sights get set on the wrong thing. Now, Paul's words remind me of a movie that I once saw years ago where a team has just found out that their coach once cheated in a competition. He lost all of his gold medals. He lost everything. And the leader of the team is befuddled, and he's asking his coach why he cheated. And the coach replies these words. He says, a gold medal is a wonderful thing, but if you're not enough without one, you'll never be enough with one. We are called to be honest men and women, men and women of character, who stand on the truth and the moral compass that God has given us. We are called to toe the line, to abide by the law, even when we disagree with it, even when we think it's unjust, to teach the truth even in the face of lies. And this is Paul's main point in verse 5. However, it's not his only point. He's telling us that in this life, it's not easily won, that the one who conquers in this life has to put forth effort if they're going to succeed. In another book, he says, I press toward the mark, the high prize, the calling of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians, he says these words. I'll put these on the screen. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. And Paul is telling us that if we want to have success... It doesn't come from a momentary win in our lives where one day we chose not to sin and one day we followed the Lord's leading. But success comes when we're able to control our lives over the long haul, over the long term, not just on a single day. To control our bodies, to bring them under subjection, to use Paul's words, to serve God daily. And it takes work. The last analogy that Paul uses for us today, and we'll spend some time here, is the hardworking farmer. The hardworking farmer. And verse 7, he says, the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. The true virtues of a good farmer are twofold. Twofold. They are persistence and they are patience. 
If you know a farmer, they have persistence and they are patient. Paul calls us to be like a good, hardworking farmer, to be persistent and to be patient with the seed that we plant. Now, of course, we're believers. Not all of us are going to be planting corn. We plant something else. Throughout the New Testament, the analogy of planting and harvesting always come back to the idea telling other people the gospel, the good news. A good farmer knows when to begin planting, but you're going to want to notice that he isn't just any farmer. He's a hardworking farmer. He's a hardworking farmer. He isn't some Johnny Appleseed who's randomly tossing out the seed wherever he goes, just letting it, winging it around. This farmer is a person who labors long and hard. Above all else, he labors intentionally. Our work in telling others about the truth has to be intentional. So I want to be the first to say that if you enter a conversation without a clear plan to tell someone about God, it will almost never happen. And I know this because I have been there. I want everybody to know the gospel. I think everybody should eventually hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think that's a good idea. It might just be me, but that's where I stand. And I generally go into a conversation, which is pleasant. It's nice. I talk to the person. But you know what I regret at the end of most of my conversations? Often I never tell them about my Savior. I don't know if you've ever been there. I think to myself, I really should have said something about God. I felt like I should have said something, and I miss an opportunity. And there are times when a conversation can, and it will lead to God. However, those times are rare and far between, especially when we go in with a happenstance mindset. If it shows up, I'll talk about it. If it doesn't, I won't. And Paul points to a hardworking farmer. And he says, this farmer has purposely planted the seed, purposely planted seed, knowing that one day it will sprout. Purposing to tell others about God is where we all should start. Well, how do we go about purposing to tell others about God? Well, if you are, in Paul's words, ashamed of the gospel, if you're afraid of the potential outcome that might happen, that the person might no longer like you, that they might hate you at the end of the conversation, that they may say no or maybe even walk away, you will always find an excuse to say nothing. If you are afraid, you will always find an excuse to say nothing. So the question is, how do we change this fear? How do we turn the page and become a Christ follower who tells others about Jesus? Well, we have to purpose it within ourselves to do so. Paul mentioned an athlete earlier. So let me ask you a question about an athlete. You guys will figure this one out. Which does an athlete do more of? Does he compete in competitions more or train for competitions? Trains for competitions. Clearly, they spend more time training for competitions than they do competing in them. Without the hard work behind the scenes, they never would be able to have the ability or the confidence that they need when the time to compete comes. You and I should practice, and we should practice often by telling others about Jesus. And it starts in a friendly environment. Tell somebody else who loves Jesus about Jesus. Talk about Jesus with them. Condition your mouth to say the name of Jesus as a good thing, not as a swear. Practice with a friend, maybe a spiritual mentor. And when you were 80% ready, when you feel like you're 80% ready, go and tell somebody about God. Now, why would I say 80% ready? Well, because when we're honest with ourselves, we are never 100% ready. If you've ever tried to do something new, you will find that you are never 100% ready. 80% is all you need. If you feel like I'm most of the way there, you are there enough to be able to proceed forward to do something, especially when it's new. Now, we have said that a farmer is persistent. Farmer's also patient. 
The word that you're going to plant will most likely stay under the surface of that individual for a while before you see any growth. In fact, farmers have patience because they know this is the natural cycle of life. That which has been planted takes time to grow. Now, I have three boys. Do you know how many times I have told them to turn off a light after exiting a room? Do you know how many times I have told them to hang up the towel, not leave it on the floor, and other various things? There are things in my life that I have been planting for years with my wife, and we still haven't seen fruit. We're hopeful, hopefully. But there are other things that are good. They've learned to scrape their dishes at the end of the meal. They automatically do that. They put their clothes away. There are little things that are already happening. It's a hit and miss, and some of it takes long time. But you've got to continue to plant the seed. Just like telling young boys to have manners and good ways to act, telling others the truth, especially the truth about Jesus, who came to be our Savior, it can take time before it comes back, before we see any change that has happened. Some of you have prayed for years for somebody to come to know the Lord. It takes patience. We all know somebody that's continued to pray in faith. While we may not understand God's timing, we are told that we can trust it. In verse 8, Paul continues on. He says these words. He says, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. So Paul again goes back to the recurring topic that we've touched on in the first chapter. He's in jail. He's facing an execution all because he stood firm on the gospel and he would not back down. And he says that he suffers as if he had somehow he had done some kind of evil thing. He's in jail like he was an evildoer. Yet he's done no wrong. Now remember again and again he's told Timothy four times now not to be ashamed of the gospel. Not to be ashamed of the gospel. And he says that, that though he is in chains, the word of God is not chained. It's not hindered. The question ultimately is, why does Paul do this? Why does Paul keep telling people about Jesus if he keeps landing him in such bad spots? Why does, through all of this suffering, why does he count his problems as something that is worth going through? Well, verse 10. Verse 10 says, Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So, who are the elect? The elect are those who God has foreknew since the beginning of time, that one day would choose to love him. Those who would accept Jesus as Savior one day and follow him. So why are they elect? Well, the term elect, if you're unfamiliar with it, comes from the idea of being chosen or called. It has mistakenly led some people to think that God chooses some people and rejects other people. Outright. He's just like, nope, you're not going to get saved no matter how much you try. That is an incorrect way of seeing that. It goes against the, uh, the personality of God and everything else that we see in Scripture. This is why I always say that God knew, he foreknew those who would choose him. He knew for a fact who would choose him. Instead of waiting for them to choose him, he chose us first before the beginning of time. He loved us so much, he chose us first. And this is the best way that I can explain within the character of God. Paul says that he is willing to endure all things for those who are one day going to choose God. And he's willing to endure those things for those who will one day find themselves as part of God's family. Now, do you think that those who have not accepted Jesus in those kind of terms, do you think of them as those who have not yet become part of God's family, who might be part of his family? Or do you tell yourself the same lie that I have told myself, 
that I should just leave them alone and let them make their own decisions. You ever been there? Not for me to decide, not for me to say, I'm just gonna keep walking away and let them mind their own business. When I'm honest with myself, it's because of only one reason, because at that time I was ashamed of the gospel. I was afraid of the potential consequences of opening my mouth, and fear controlled me. Have you ever had someone put onto your heart? Have you ever had God kind of put someone on your heart that you should be praying for? It happens every now and then again. All of a sudden, you just feel like, I should be praying for this person. I get this feeling that someone needs to be praying, and I keep praying. But what if I miss the message? What if we miss the message? What if we aren't just supposed to be praying for them? What if we're supposed to be telling them as well? Remember, praying for someone's salvation and being willing to tell them the gospel are two different things. Both take faith. Have I used up my movie reference limit yet? I've got room for one more, right? We have a movie night coming up on Saturday. So this is actually an unintentional plug. I had thought of this, and I'm probably thinking of this because of the movie, but actually it's a good plug for the movie. On the 22nd, 6 p.m., doors, you know, come on in. Um, But in the movie, the coach who is struggling, he's struggling with his faith. And there's a man that starts talking to him. And he offers up this story to kind of help him to understand. And I want to close with this particular story. He says, I heard a story of two farmers praying to God about rain to come. Both prayed. Both prayed, but only one prepared the land. The question is, who do you think trusted God to send the rain. Today, Paul has used four different analogies to help us to better understand our calling as Christ followers. To better understand the life that God is calling each and every single one of us to. And the Son, he has called us to be strong in grace. And the Son, he has called us to be strong in grace. Through the soldier, he has called us to remember our call. Through the athlete, he has reminded us to run the race well. And through the farmer, he has reminded us to have patience and persistence. So today, I'm going to close with two questions, just like normal. Question number one is, what quality is God calling out of you today? Today, we have covered a lot of character qualities. In fact, uh, we put our sermons online. If you want to go back and listen to this one again, I encourage you to do so. God didn't just call you to save you from hell. He called you so that you could become a reflection of him here on the earth. What quality is he calling out of you today? And the question is, secondly, how is God building your faith today? Faith is how the Christian is called to live their life. We are called to live our lives by faith. It's only by faith that we can please God. That comes from scripture itself. It's only by faith that we can exercise the spiritual gifts that we have been given. And it's by faith that we grow into the people that God knows that you and I can become. So the question is, what is your next faith step today? Let's close in prayer. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the analogies that you have given us through Paul the reminders that we are called as sons and daughters to pass on a godly heritage to the next generation, to be strong and courageous and not to be ashamed of the gospel, to be people who are not controlled by fear, but rather pursue love, just like Paul, as he endured all of his sufferings 
and counted it worthy of enduring because of what his mission was on his heart to tell somebody else about your name. Father, help us to have that same mindset. Help us to lay aside our fear and to wholly trust you. Help us to lean into you when times are rough or when the life flips upside down and sideways. Father, help us to lean in closer to you and look more like your son as we walk daily. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this is Pastor Jake. I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to these messages that we put online. I do pray that these are helpful for the times you just can't be with us in person. I want to remind you that this recording is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be in a community of faith where the Word of God is being preached and proclaimed. We are told by Scripture to gather together so that we each belong to a local body of believers where we are being shaped by being known by using each of our gifts and walking faithfully in God's Word. So thank you again so much for listening and growing with us. I hope you enjoyed today's message.